Thank you for downloading this podcast from BJOG. Hi, my name is Aris Papagiorgio. I'm a deputy editor-in-chief for BJOG, and I'd like to welcome you to this June issue. We often think of the great obstetric syndromes as single entities, but what's very clear is that these conditions, such as early pregnancy loss, preterm labor, preeclampsia, intrauterine growth restriction, stillbirth, and others, that they're caused by many pathways and that there are complex processes and interactions between physiological adaptation and pathological maladaptation. One example of our improved understanding is in polycystic ovary syndrome or PCOS. This is a very common condition and even more so in women attending infertility clinics due to anovulation. Women with PCOS who become pregnant have higher risks of developing a number of pregnancy complications, including gestational diabetes, hypertensive disorders, and preterm birth. And of course, this carries consequent risks to their babies. Apart from these relatively late-onset complications, rate of pregnancy loss are also higher than in women without PCOS. But in turn, PCOS is associated with certain maternal characteristics such as insulin resistance and obesity, and these are related to adverse pregnancy outcomes too. So how can we know if the observed association that we see in PCOS with adverse pregnancy outcome is due to these common risk factors or a causal relationship? One such study of interest is in this current issue from China, where they studied almost 22,000 women who had a positive HCG test after undergoing IVF, with or without ICSI. It comes from a large assisted reproduction center in Xi'an in China, and the study was done over five years. This was a large number of women, over 2,300 with and almost 20,000 without PCOS. They collected very detailed maternal data, and this allowed the authors to really carefully compare not only the pregnancy outcomes, but also to see how maternal characteristics influenced these outcomes. What they found is that once age and other confounders were adjusted for, women with PCOS actually had similar odds of pregnancy loss compared with women without PCOS. The risk of pregnancy loss was 22% versus 21%, and the odds of having a live birth very similar. In the study, the authors also assessed pregnancy loss by whether this occurred before or after 13 weeks of gestation. There was no relationship between PCOS and pregnancy loss at less than 13 weeks. And although PCOS was associated with later pregnancy loss, the effect was largely due to the association of high body mass index. Once this was adjusted for in the analysis, the effect of PCOS became marginal. Such data are useful in counseling women with PCOS who become pregnant after IVF. It's also important to highlight that these findings may not be the same after natural conception, as Adam Balin explains in the accompanying mini-commentary. But the data, to me, are also a really useful illustration of how careful data collection and analysis can lead to a better understanding of the interplay between maternal conditions and other confounders, pregnancy outcomes, and this role of shared associations. Another heterogeneous syndrome is preterm birth, often described in terms of spontaneous versus medically indicated, or perhaps in the presence or absence of preterm premature rupture of membranes. There are more detailed phenotypic classifications that incorporate maternal, fetal, and placental characteristics, signs of parturition and pathways to delivery. And it has also been shown that specific phenotypes in preterm newborns 
our associate with differential clinical growth and neurodevelopmental differences at the age of two years in a recent study in JAMA Pediatrics. Such etiologic complexities of spontaneous preterm birth beyond the gestational age at which a baby is born are illustrated in a nice paper by Lisa Gagnon in this June issue. They examined a large group of women admitted during pregnancy with threatened preterm labor. Now, all of us who practice obstetrics know that very often threatened preterm labor will just resolve and not result in preterm birth. What is less well known is that even when subsequent deliveries then occur, women who've had a threatened preterm labor may have a higher risk of several adverse perinatal outcomes, including giving birth to an SGA baby. In order to tease out these risks for complications that are not attributable to prematurity itself, the authors only assessed pregnancies that then went on to beyond 37 weeks, and they compared outcomes in women with and without prior preterm labor. They did this using a large database, a population-based one, uh, of all residents of Nova Scotia, including over 250,000 term births that contained highly detailed and standardized data on demographics, morbidities, procedures, and outcomes of mothers and their newborns. Such really detailed information is important because similarly to the investigation we talked about in PCOS, correcting for confounders is a key aspect because you want to ensure that you're not just seeing the effects of an underlying condition that is associated with both threatened preterm labor and subsequent adverse outcome. What they found was that even when you adjust for these confounders, women with threatened preterm labor and subsequent term delivery had a higher risk for two primary outcomes, a 24% increase in the risk of giving birth to an SGA baby, less than the 10th centile, and a 33% increase in the risk of a composite outcome of perinatal morbidity and mortality. The authors hypothesize on possible causes of these findings, and clearly, you know, it's more research is needed on this to understand the biological mechanisms. But in the meantime, I think this is a sort of information that could be taken into account when planning fetal surveillance in women who've experienced threatened preterm birth. I close by saying that most syndromes in pregnancy are distinctly heterogeneous. They appear at different time points, they may occur in isolation, they may coexist with other pregnancy complications. Think of preeclampsia and fetal growth restriction. Trying to understand the biological processes underlying them is so important because improvements in phenotypic characterization of these complex syndromes, likely through integration of clinical and laboratory data, is the first step towards developing targeted screening and prevention strategies. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this podcast from BJOG. We have been reporting the best research in women's health since 1902. We are keen to hear your views. Tweet us at BJOG Tweets. You can find more podcasts at www.bjog.org.